Hello, and welcome to a mini-sode of The Dirt, a podcast about archaeology, anthropology, and our shared human past. I'm Anna. And I'm Amber. And I'm the reason why we aren't having a regular episode this week. <laughs> um, so we had originally planned for a different episode for this week, but that's, which is coming. I just haven't finished. It's coming. It was my turn, and uh, I um, haven't finished writing it yet. Um so it has like a whole bunch of but like stuff. for really good reasons, <laughs> really good reasons. Yeah. So a whole bunch of stuff has happened um, uh, involving me um, in the past week or so. Oh, I didn't want to say to me because that made it. <laughs> I'm I have At agency in my life. Me. Um, no. Around so me. I um, a lot of stuff that just isn't um, that, I, that I can't share anything about because nothing is embargo. No, just nothing settled. Um, but one thing that's happening is I'm moving. Uh, that yeah. one, that one is is settled. That's for um, sure happening. I just just gave a nice man a lot of money, uh, and um, and so yeah. So I so I'm moving. I've got a lot of I've got like a lot of very big big things happening, and um, that's exciting. Yeah. So I'm excited. Um, but what happened was I didn't finish writing the script. So it's coming out <laughs> as I finish it. But that's okay. Um, yeah. I have insomnia. <laughs> so yeah. So I I was saying like, oh Anna, like maybe we can just um like release an excerpt of one of the bangers that we've put out on Patreon recently. Um and mm-hmm. Anna was like, Yeah, sure. And then the next morning, Anna was like, So we can record. <laughs> I wrote something Um, and I'm really excited about whatever this is because of the one small clue that I got. Um, I am into it. Um, But yeah, these, this is something that you are also um, while we're on the topic of exciting updates um, Hmm. and things that I can't share yet because they aren't figured out. Um, So um, some folks have been reaching out to us about pass the mic um, because we, we had our inaugural grant cycle, um, in the fall, summer, whatever, different season. Um, we had it and, and it we are working on lining up those recipients to be on yeah, the show. So you'll be hearing from to talk about grantees. their work. Um, yeah. they, they are real. Um, I, <laughs> this isn't a scam. We, we, we met and grifting. interacted with one of them. Um, <laughs> and um, so um, that the the new cycle is opening up again. I am so sorry about the delay because I know that this is <laughs> one of the things that I'm working on right now is my own abstract and uh, conference budget for something that I'm doing. So. Um, I feel you. Mm. Um, and and so to that end, um, if and there will be a big blast about this when um, it is opened um, on all of our social media channels. So you can share with people who don't listen, although they should listen. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to they be should. opening up this Friday. If you are listening to this episode at the time it's released, that is this Friday. If you are listening to it any other time, um, that means... Friday, February 3rd, 2023, um, we will begin accepting applications again. Um, mm-hmm. And this can be retroactive. For example, someone has already, say, purchased a plane ticket. They can still apply and be reimbursed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If that conference yeah. is, like, coming up soon. Um, yeah, yeah. But, like, ideally after... <laughs> 
<laughs> the deadline and selection yeah. period, um, just yeah. for your own sake. Um, yeah, that's that it's okay. Um, it can be, um, the funds can be applied, um, can, can sort of serve as a reimbursement. Um, yeah. Is so, yeah. So that, yeah. You said that a lot better than I, <laughs> well, <laughs> talk about this a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. So all of that stuff is going to be up on our website, um, the um, where you can also find, even if you're not interested in uh, seeking that those funds or if um, unfortunately we can't give everyone money um, sure wish we could uh, but um, even if um, you are or maybe you listen to this and you are in a totally different discipline um, there are resources on our website that might be useful um, if you are thinking about attending conferences if you are budgeting for conferences there's um, a spreadsheet template that I made that can be useful in um, establishing a budget so you can figure out kind of what your ceiling is and figure out where you could maybe trim stuff back if you are um, if you are fighting a losing battle against material resources. <laughs> so those are my big updates. They're not very informative. <laughs> some, some real teases. Things are happening. <laughs> yeah. But, um, again, thank you everyone for your patience. Um, we love that we are in a position to be able to contribute to folks getting their research out there. But, um, you know, as always, the caveat is that we are two people just two just two people just two that's all i'm done this is the end of my contributions to this episode <laughs> no you're gonna be reading some things oh good and also reacting and also um i'm going to be leaning on your knowledge of the starry sky oh mm. oh that's great it's a shame well, that so i'm joining you after being fully lobotomized by excel um, well <laughs> that is too bad but i think that's not where you uh, store your star knowledge. I don't know. Like what in my brain? <laughs> well, like the lobotomy is very frontal lobe. Oh, fine. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for. Yep. Thanks for that. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. One final note of housekeeping, okay. which is, um, if you've gotten <laughs> this far and still like the show. Thanks. Uh, if you could leave some five-star reviews on various podcast platforms to that effect, that would be great. We'd love you forever. We already do. It's okay. And, okay, and if so, you don't, that that's fine. Enjoy the rest of your day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. Okay. So we'll, we will be back to your regularly scheduled episode programming very soon. But in the meantime, the other night, I was doing that super funny joke that I play on myself where it's time for sleeping but I don't do that. So I thought, well, maybe I'll get ahead on our bonus episodes and start collecting news stories for old news, which is available for subscribers at patreon.com slash the dirt podcast. Oh, it has been a month, hasn't it, for that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Google and, has um, finally learned that I only want to hear news stories about archaeology. Um and oh, like, good job, Google. And, you and got like, there. And like Tesla products that burst into flames. Those are the two things that I get <laughs> stories about. But it's been I a good archaeology, and I want Schadenfreude. <laughs> um, so I didn't get any old news. Oh, okay. Well, don't worry. I because have. I found a thing. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. So in in casually browsing for news, I found something fun, and it really um, kind of snagged in my <laughs> in my 
little little brain box. Oh. Uh, so I thought, why not spend a little more time on it? Um, so we're starting in the ancient Greek world, but we're not staying there the whole time. Okay. And hopefully I have woven this story in such a way that I'm, I'm going to bring the listeners and you, Amber, along on a, on a little journey. I okay. hope. I hope I did this. I hope I did good. Here we go. Amber, you and I, yes. as listeners probably know by now, but maybe some new folks don't. Hi. Hello. Uh, we met in our undergraduate years at Bryn Mawr College, which is sometimes called a Seven Sisters School. So the Seven Sisters Consortium was founded informally with four women's colleges in 1915 and eventually included seven all-women undergraduate institutions when it was formalized in 1926. Um, the Vassar president, Henry Noble McCracken, what a name, uh, said in 1915 of the sort of the earlier, more informal foundation that the purpose of the consortium was, quote, to deliver women opportunities for higher education that would improve the quality of life for the human family and that would put them on an equal footing with men in a democracy that was about to offer them the vote, end quote. So I bring this up not to brag that we went to the Lady Ivy Leagues, gross, but because of the allusion to the Seven Sisters. So Amber, what can you tell me about the Pleiades, the constellation known as the Seven Sisters, and also the the characters in Greek myth? Okay. Um, well, first of all, they aren't a constellation. Um, well, they're a they're a cluster. They're, what would you call them? They're what an asterism. So they are an. Uh, What's that? It's just a bunch of stars. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, so an asterism, if I remember correctly, an asterism can be, all constellations are asterisms, but not all asterisms are constellations. So, um, the, um, the, the Pleiades are an open star cluster consisting of blue star, very hot, they're hot stars. We talked about this in the Avatar (laughs) So, um, <laughs> patreon.com slash the dirt podcast <laughs> if you want to subject yourself to um, that yeah just talking about the no that um, one was cool the the alpha centauri system um yeah mm. so the the pleiades are um it's a, a group of stars that look close together to us um and they constitute um m45 let me check real quick M45, Messi- a- Messier Object 45. So if you were like in, you were like on your little app um, to talk about the stars uh-huh. or you have it like attached uh-huh. to uh-huh. A, um, a telescope, you can put in M45. And there would be for sound design. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so they are um, in the in the constellation um Taurus and they I think they they form like the heart ish like they're they they are like the eye I don't they're know they're in there yeah but they're they, in there but they they have it's like fine. a visual component to to mm-hmm. Taurus um so they they are um they are blue because they burn very hot um uh, so they 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 appear to be a, a, a bright blue and you kind of see that if you have good vision or, or sort of, Oh, we'll get into this uh, so much. Okay. So if you have good, <laughs> if you have, um, um, vision such that you can see stars clearly, um, either with corrective lenses or your own vision, um, they have kind of a bluish glow to them because mm-hmm. there's, there's a bit of like dust around them. Um, <laughs> 
So they're they're really pretty. Dusty they're stars. they're really pretty, and you can see them um, you can see them nicely uh, through binoculars. Uh, and if you have a telescope with any power whatsoever, um, they they're just a gorgeous blue color. Um, and mm. so mm-hmm. there are. I think there's more than seven, uh, but they're sort of. We'll, we'll get okay, into that a little there's bit. There's seven-ish yeah. that are visible ish. to the um, the naked eye with the appropriate vision. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just like because like I can so store bot or otherwise yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so that allusion to the seven sisters is this idea of um, the Pleiades were um, uh, seven biological sisters um mm. who were the children of atlas we'll get into their family story. and yeah, yeah. and a, and like a some kind of nymph some kind of water some nymph, nymph. An nymph. um mm-hmm. and so this is where we start to bleed from my knowledge from like where, where my knowledge of astronomy bleeds into my knowledge of classical myth which bleeds yeah. into my knowledge of episodes of wishbone Okay, so let's um, and so I will pause stop there. Phone. But that's <laughs> so that's like that's the deal with the Pleiades, and so they are very recognizable, um, even if you don't have really strong vision on your mm-hmm. own. Um, you do see a fuzzy point of light. There's a clump. You don't yeah. necessarily see uh, like discrete stars. Is that helpful? Yeah. So helpful. Okay. I want to um, <laughs> emphasize two things before we move on. One is that the Pleiades are a, con- uh, a cluster of stars that you could see, depending on the season, from basically anywhere in the world. Right? They're just they're up. Yes. There. Ah, I'm seeing now. Mm-hmm. It is the nearest Messier object to Earth, and the most oh, obvious cluster um, to the naked eye in the night sky. So since they are in Taurus, they're like on the ecliptic, so everybody can see them. Um, wherever you are. So our friends. That's going to be very this, important. Oh, good. Look at me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. Um, the second the, the, thing. Their their mom was Pleony, right? Because they're the Pleonids. Sometimes. D- yeah. Dep- it depends. The Pines. On the version of the story. Okay. But that's um, that's the yeah. name, yeah? Um, yes. Great. Yes. Oh, look. I could have scrolled down and cheated. <laughs> yep. Sure could. But you didn't. The other thing that I want to emphasize here is that they are called the Seven Sisters persistently even though you kind of have to squint to see six and but like throughout mythology wherever there are stories about this group of stars seven is the number that pops up so those are the two things that i would like you to keep in your head for the rest of this episode well and our so our school is one of a set of schools that is persistently called the seven sisters even though they are gender (laughs) expansive and they're the seven siblings so it's nice that we're yeah, yeah, we're um, you know, definite labels. They can, they can be wobbly. All right, so <laughs> I love a wobbly label. So mythologically speaking, here's the the quick and dirty family tree of the Pleiades. So okay. as you said, Amber, great job. Dad was the Titan Atlas. Thanks. That's the guy who got who got stuck with holding up the sky. He also may or may not have shrugged. Mm-mm. Oh. <laughs> I was going to make a joke about Atlas Shrugged, but it would reveal way too much knowledge of, like, objectivist philosophy. (laughs) Mm. Uh, Their mom was an Oceanid, as you said, a sea nymph. Usually her name is recorded as Pleony, but also sometimes as Aethra. So 
don't know what's going on there. Wasn't that a, like a Norman? Oh, you're thinking of all the Ethelberts and the Ethelreds and the, no, Aethra, like, like Like, Aether. Aether. Okay. Yeah. Their seven daughters were, in case you're keeping track, this is in descending age order, starting with the oldest. So we've got Maya, Electra, Mm -hmm. Tegety, Alcyone, Keliano. Nope, that's wrong. Keleno. Keliano. Sterapy. <laughs> I'm making bolognese for dinner. Bolognese. I'm just in. <laughs> I'm in Italiano mode. Uh, we've got Sterapy, which is sometimes written as Asterapy, and Merapy. Merapy. Me rope. Okay, so in various myths, most of the sisters have children by either Zeus or Poseidon. Which, like, who, who doesn't? Who doesn't? Uh. Yeah. In some stories, Merope married Sisyphus, the guy with the rock and the hill. Mm-hmm. Heard of him. Maya is the mother of the god Hermes. Uh, those are the big names. There are lots of other offspring I've never heard of. Not as relevant to our story. The story of how the Pleiades were transformed into the Pleiades up in the sky, depend. it, it varies depending on who's telling it, but it's never a happy story. So sometimes they're being pursued by Orion, the hunter. So that constellation is right nearby. And Orion, in the sort of path of the Pleiades, Orion kind of follows that path. So there's a lot of chasing objects of desire. Um, But whatever the lead up, every story I found ends with the sisters being transformed into stars by Zeus and placed in the sky to keep their dad Atlas company. I have a question. I'll try. That's coming from my... From Wishbone, um, are they the ones? Is it what's the story, Wishbone? No, no. But we can <laughs> wag another tail. Um, no. So um, it's the Pleiades half sisters who are involved in the labors of Heracles, right? With the That's apple. Right. Mm. I don't know why I did that. I don't know why I honked it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. Like it's it. I think so. They are they have, daughters of Atlas who protect sis- a tree yes. with golden apples. Yeah, that's one of their the group of half sisters. But there are like thirty it's of not them. Not the Pleiades, right? No, that's not. I don't think that's, that's the Pleiades. Like the, if I'm wrong, the, that's the, fine. The Hyades like, or something. <laughs> that sounds right. Hyades cluster. Okay, but no, don't get into okay, the star no. weeds. No, 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 no. But it is. I learned a lot okay. of my astronomy stuff at the same time I watched Wishbone. So, like, the fact that I had, like... Formative. A... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. So, that is one part of this tapestry that I'm weaving, which is really more like one of those pot holders that you make when you're a kid from the kit, the little fabric loops. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I'm so tired. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the second piece, the actual stars. I gave the section to you. Yay! Most stars are single and separate from each other. <laughs> this is how I like to be. Um, You're a star. Uh, um, but the Pleiades is a compact bunch in in a shape like a miniature Big Dipper. Sort of from our perspective, sort of, sort of, like, there's a box. There is a there is a shape to them uh, because yes. of the 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 human minds. Um, (laughs) that's what we like we like patterns yeah unquenchable thirst for patterns um so (laughs) um so the stars stand apart from nearly everything else in the sky and are visible to the naked eye well at least six of them are and a big part of this is because they're nearby um Mm -hmm. they're pretty close to us as i muttered about up top 
Um, so we are going to um, excerpt from an article by Bob King in Sky and Telescope, um, which was the magazine of choice in the Goldfield family bathroom uh, since Anna got her dad a subscription almost 30 years ago, to which I must say, um, my neighbor tried to do something similar for my father um, my the summer after my freshman year of college and got us a year-long subscription to Star Magazine. Um, oh, that's not. Which is just a tabloid. That's not. Yeah, that's <laughs> not about the ones in the sky. Um, it was great. Yeah. I, no, that's great bathroom reading. <laughs> no, my bathroom. So as a kid, my bathroom had like Calvin and Hobbes books. And then my parents' bathroom had like Sky and Telescope and Opera Magazine. <laughs> opera Magazine. <laughs> Not Oprah. No, Opera. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, mine just mostly had like shampoo bottles. That's what we could read. Great, um, great anyway, material. Hey, if you're stuck in there. Bob King says, quote, when asked how many stars they see in the cluster, beginning observers will usually say five. Uh, that's what most of us see at a glance, and it makes sense because of the five brightest Pleiades, Alcyone, Atlas, Electra, Maya, and Merope, range from magnitude 2.9 to 4.2, well within the grasp of most observers from a reasonably dark sky sight. Um, according to Agnes Clerk, a late 19th century, early 20th century astronomer and writer, uh, quote, Carrington and Denning, British amateur astronomers, counted 14. End quote. So Robert Purnham, uh, in his three-volume Celestial Handbook, writes that, quote, there are at least 20 stars in the group which might be glimpsed under the finest conditions, end quote. Um, wow, really? That's Bob talking, not me. Um, let's start with the next two easier targets. Extend a line from Alcyone through Maya to find Tegeta. Most amateur astronomers can spot this one with ease. A touch of averted vision, um, a technique of looking around the object of interest instead of directly at it, should make this a snap. Uh, it's the next one, Pliony, that gives many observers trouble. Not only is it dimmer, rude, but the star nestles against brighter Atlas. For me, seeing it requires good dark adaption, patience, and a mix of averted and direct vision, end quote. So first, Anna, do you understand yes. averted vision? Uh-huh. Okay. If you if you kind of try to look at a star um, or whatever you're trying to see up there through the corner of your eye, yeah. instead of looking right at it, it's going to show up better. Yeah. I learned that from a novelized Star Trek book oh my gosh. in like fourth grade. Yeah. So that's something that, that helps with... Um, I, I don't know I don't know like what the like mechanics inside your eye are, but that's a big um, that is a big thing. Um, that is a great mm -hmm. way. That's also very helpful. Not only if you're looking at something like with only your eyes and potentially corrective lenses, uh, but that sure. also works in um, binoculars and telescopes because your eyes want to see something clearly. They want to focus, yeah. and um, which you can't blame them for that. Um, no, but something I haven't been able to do since. <laughs> oh, what a long time! And so, and so that's something that that is really helpful. So you kind of look a little bit, a little bit to the side you're of it. So side. you're not like, you're not like looking, you're not like turning your head or even using your peripheral <laughs> vision. It's really just a matter of like looking slightly away from it. 
Um, yeah. And then magnitudes. We talked about how these brightest stars are from magnitude 2.9 to 4.2. And in astronomy and like astro- astronomical measurement, usually it's it's compared to something earthy. Um, like how <laughs> an astronomical unit is the distance from the earth to the sun for a star that's why the sun is like negative whatever um so vega um the star vega which is where Mm -hmm. vegans come from is is uh it is alpha lyri what does that mean anna it is the brightest star in the constellation lyra yes um so that is the brightest star listen in the sky, it has a magnitude of zero. Um, and so it is like the baseline as far as stars. The sun is much brighter. So it has a negative magnitude. Um, yeah. Ooh, so bright. And, and so, um, so having stars that have a magnitude of 2.9 to 4.2 are pretty darn bright. Is that helpful? Did I help? Did I do anything helpful? Perfect. Yes, this whole this okay this great. Been, I'm gonna edit it so it's so helpful. <laughs> Sorry. No, I mean like edit out all the parts where I'm like, is it this? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, no, you're being very helpful. I'm just like, I don't know. <laughs> Space is far away. <laughs> so, with the naked eye, it would seem that six of the Pleiades are very visible, and the seventh is sometimes visible, although more difficult to spot. And these seven stars are featured as characters, not just in Greek myth, but from legends around the world. In Celtic mythology, the, the I keep saying constellation. It's not. The asterism. In Celtic mythology, the asterism is Torteodo. Oh. I apologize in advance for all the things I'm about to try to there pronounce. There were so many W's in, in that. Mm-hmm. W can be a vowel sometimes. I remember this from kindergarten when somebody was like, a-E-I-O-U and sometimes Y and also sometimes W. Um, and I was like the little pedant child who like repeated that. Never, never encountered an example. Now is your time. Now is my time. So, <laughs> yeah. In Persian legends, they're called Parvi. In Hawaiian stories, they are Makali'i. To the Maori, they are Machariki and they are the Subaru in Japanese. Yep. That's why the logo looks like that. Uh, and in Hinduism, they are the Kritika. Multiple indigenous American groups have legends that mention the constellation. Asterism. Mm, the asterism. Mm. <laughs> and the seven sisters are mentioned in Amos 5.8, Job 9.9, and Job 38.31 in the Bible. Hmm. So these gals are all over the place. So in they're up the there. Greek myth, they're up there. But everyone's talking about yeah. them. So in the Greek myth, Orion the hunter pursued the Pleiades with sexual intentions. Some indigenous Australian stories also describe the, the, the two the groups, of so the constellation Orion and the asterism Pleiades, as a hunter pursuing a group of young girls with sexual intent. So this is an important part of Aboriginal calendars and is associated with sacred women's mysteries and ceremonies. But even people with really good eyesight today have trouble making out all seven stars without optical assistance um telescopes weren't around for a very very long time galileo was one of the first to invent one and he first viewed the pleiades through a telescope and recorded 36 stars 
in, in that group in 1610. So this raises two big questions for me. One, how is there continuity in the story of seven sisters being pursued by another group of stars that is a hunter slash sexual predator in two cultures, Australian and sort of broadly speaking European? Um, once Homo sapiens migrated out of Africa around 100,000 years ago, plus, these two cultural groups didn't contact each other again, as far as we know, until the British invaded Australia in 1788 CE. So that's big question number one. Big question number two, why do the majority of cultures that mention this group of stars call them seven sisters or something similar when most people now, even with good eyesight, only see six? Oh God, yes. So relax. This is not suddenly an ancient aliens, like panspermia. I think I know where this is going, thing. though. But it is true that the story of the seven sisters might be one of the oldest continuously recorded or told stories. So now let's talk about the news story that completely distracted me and got us here. We're talking about deep time. We're talking about deep, deep time. time, baby. We're talking about deep time. Stories through deep time. Deep time um, stories. Also, just so that everybody's on the same the same level here, um, mm. the constellation Orion, that is the star that is one of oh, the yeah, constellations sorry. that many people who don't who aren't stuck next to me outside after i've been drinking um <laughs> like that's who usually gets tours of the night sky um and so that is but it is one that that is pretty recognizable because um a lot of the stars in it especially so a lot of the stars in it are quite bright and then the three stars uh that form across the middle and then there is the if again like if you um if you're on a if very clear night, very low light pollution, and either you or your, your corrective lenses can um, <laughs> can see it. Ultimately, it's your brain processing the information. Exactly. So. Yeah. Um, you see sort of like a, a fuzzy glow um, underneath that look that could be read as like a knife um, or, you know, a scabbard or... I don't know. Weapon. Um, yeah, so it, it looks it some it, it lends itself to a sort of human shape, um, or you know, in some cases, genitalia. Right. Yeah. Okay. No, I'm talking mm. about the whole thing, not just the the glow the the glowing bit. I know, but, but <laughs> that's going to come up. Okay. Um, yeah, it's relevant. Um, but sort of a human shape wearing some kind of belt um, with with something near the belt yeah um so that's orion and uh, right yeah, both in, of these are very bright groups of stars that are very visible and if you are in the northern hemisphere um orion is more visible in the winter um and um and, and but you can depending on where you are in the northern hemisphere you can see it most of the year um mm -hmm late at night like deep in the night um it you wouldn't necessarily i'm awake yes exactly um but it is uh because it, it's in pursuit of um this the constellation that we see as as tor that that uh, you may not see it as anything that's fine uh a taurus it's along the ecliptic it's near the ecliptic because think about the ecliptic runs through all of the constellations that are part of like the like contemporary zodiac um, so I'm so a Taurus. Orion. So Orion being near <laughs> yes. near the ecliptic, everyone's gonna see it at some point during the year. 
yep, uh, wherever you are. And because Orion pursues Taurus, Orion also pursues the Pleiades. Yes, but Orion is being pursued himself in Greek myth. Even though yeah, even though there is sort of this 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 theme that I want to like get right into, but it is sort of it's not just I know a discrete story. I'm just I'm just saying that like it's like there's we're just there's a we lo- happen to be narrowing in on yeah. a small part of that story. Yeah. Okay. So <gasps> deep time. Um, this is so. This is what, what a fun. How this fun. is a little treat for you, Thank bud. Thank you. Ah, yeah. as if my week couldn't get better. Um, mm. so it's only Monday. <laughs> so I learned a few hours ago. <laughs> It's not Tuesday. It's not Tuesday. Okay. So we are in our brains at the site of Marawanga, a rock shelter in what is today Queensland, Australia. Um, The site is full of petroglyphs, like so many, so many petroglyphs. Um, There may be more petroglyphs at Marawanga. So there's at least um, 15,000 than at any other single site in the world. And a portion of those petroglyphs tell the story of the Seven Sisters. Uh, so I'm going to quote now from a, a 2022, so long ago, article in Australian <laughs> Archaeology uh, concerning the petroglyphs. Uh, quote, there are 10 clusters of designs spread across the length of the engraved area of Marawanga that appear to have been placed in a particular order from south to north as if they are sequential components of an important story. This ordered placement can be revealed by an archaeological recording of the shelter, but the designs were likely to have been made at different times, with an accumulation of these clusters and other rock markings over time. However, the order makes sense for contemporary Aboriginal community members as different parts of a Seven Sisters dreaming story in the correct sequence. The following is an interpretation based on ethnographic information, i.e. interviews with elders. Um, So quick note that a little content warning here of sexual assault. Um, Zoom forward if that's not something you wish to hear about. Continuing. The seven star-like designs are said to represent the seven sisters that feature in stories across Australia and are linked to the Pleiades star constellation. Most of the stories are associated with the creation of country through the seven sisters who were very beautiful and came down to earth from the sky. They were chased by a sometimes said to be evil man, sometimes depicted as just a large penis, who wanted to make the sisters his wives. Quick note here, the man or Sometimes men. Sometimes it's a group of men, yeah. Are specifically linked to the constellation Orion. Continuing the quote. All of the stories involve events that happen at certain places between the man, or sometimes two men, sometimes seven, and the women who are constantly trying to get away. The places where altercations occurred are where there are particularly pronounced features in the landscape, such as hills, clay pans, water holes, and on rare occasions, rock art sites. The different stories all have morals to them. Sometimes their pursuer rapes the older sister and the other sisters have to heal her. The story then has embedded important knowledge of which plants they used for healing, end quote. Um, and then elsewhere, the Pleiades are just a, a useful 
um, asterism, like sort of a. It seems to be common across these cultures that that knowledge of some sort is embedded in these stories. Yeah, so whether it's like now it's time for planting. Yeah, it's like, like calendric. That's what I was trying. Yes. To, that's when I was yeah, just yeah. making sounds. Yeah, so it's <laughs> it's sort of it's it's useful in in. Um, the calendar and sort of timekeeping uh, because for things like seasonal planting times, um, ocean navigation and the timing of sailing, um, because uh, as we've discussed in, in yeah. many episodes involving maritime anything, um, prevailing <laughs> winds are seasonal. And if you yeah. don't leave by a certain time, you're not going to get home for a while. Forever, forever. Um, so, but that that's not unusual for for constellations or anything kind of astronomical. Um, no, but but this is this is something that that very fascinating. Yeah. So the fact that there are seven sisters in both the Australian myth and the ancient Greek version suggests, although doesn't necessitate, a mm. common origin for the story. The which, it, but that's really helped by the fact that, like, the the connection, the theory that they could be connected is is aided by the fact that you can't actually see seven of them. Right, right. <laughs> oh, oh, we'll get there. Right, oh, that's we'll what I'm saying. There. Like, it's like yeah. otherwise it'd be like, yeah, like saying like, oh, five, and it's like we have five fingers, whatever kind of thing. Yeah, no, um, but but the fact that, um, yes, seven yeah. is important. Yeah. So the and I'm using heavy air quotes here, the ancestral group that both of these cultural lineages have mm -hmm. in common is before the major migrations out of Africa 100,000 years ago plus. Now, there are six stars visible in the constellation, asterism, star constellation, just all the words. There are six stars visible with one that's much harder to spot. But what did the Pleiades look like in the night sky above Africa 100,000 years ago? So enter Ray Norris and Barnaby Norris, two Australian scientists, pretty sure they're father and son. That's relevant. Not positive. But by using careful measurements of the stars in the Pleiades through the Gaia Space Telescope, they were able to show how the stars in the Pleiades have been moving over time. And so they came to the following conclusion, which I'm excerpting from an article that Ray Norris wrote in the conversation about their research. Quote, one star, Pleione, is now so close to the star Atlas that they look like a single star to the naked eye. But if we take what we know about the movement of the stars and rewind 100,000 years, Pleione was further from Atlas and would have been easily visible to the naked eye. So, 100,000 years ago, most people really would have seen seven stars in the cluster. We believe this movement of the stars can help to explain two puzzles— the similarity of Greek and Aboriginal stories about these stars, and the fact that so many cultures call the cluster Seven Sisters, even though we only see six stars today. Is it possible the stories of the Seven Sisters and Orion are so old, our ancestors were telling these stories to each other around campfires in Africa 100,000 years ago? Could this be the oldest story in the world? End quote. So just I, I just wanted to kind of present that story i want i wanted to think about what are the oldest stories and one that describes something that is very visible in the sky that everyone can look up and see i think that's a reasonable candidate i mean i don't really care which what is the oldest story <laughs> like you know in in terms of like i don't care i'm not giving out awards right yeah. <laughs> so but in terms of thinking about how 
we tell stories and how those stories stay in our sort of consciousness, um, the fact that something like that might have happened for more than 100,000 years is very, very cool to me. Yeah. I got a few thoughts about this. Lay them on me. Um, yeah. So uh, on the one hand, I find um, like this, I, I also like always as someone who has always <laughs> as far back as I can remember been a bit melancholy um, exhibited things that later were described as mental like symptoms of mental illness um, there was this sense of loneliness that I often had as a child and so like I I was sort of like a lonely little misfit and and something that I really connected with my father about was astronomy and stargazing and uh, these sorts of things that I could do on my own, but also these things that I could do with equipment that he had made and later bought. Um, and it was just this way to feel connected. Um, and it gave me this sense of sort of connection and belonging to like the universe in a way that I didn't get from um, from sort of the religious upbringing that I had. Um which is, is a me thing. Um, but it was this way to feel, um, like a part of something. And, you know, for me, it's, it's, you, it's always been kind of this much greater, like cosmic thing, but there's, you know, there's this sort of like, like beauty and romance to being able to look at, like, look up at something and know that someone that you're far away from could also see that, or just sort of thinking about, you know, you can, if when you've lost a loved one or thinking about sort of your own past and being like, oh, well, the, the, this is something constant. Um, that, that's something that's always, that's, that I've always found that very effective. Um, like that and sort of, in, and so I, I still have, I find it very calming um, and I find this peace in it. And so I like, I really, I really, really love the, the thought that this is something that I'm participating in a tradition that has existed as long as we have. Um, and that's something that I, I find really, um, like really beautiful. Um, but on the other hand, yeah, this story is about attempted if not completed sexual assault. Yep. And I don't like that. I mean, no, generally I mean, there's but, really no but getting I away from but that like, part of the like, story. I mean, like in general, I don't like that, but it also is something yeah. that, <laughs> no. that is not, um, that is not how I wish to view, um, humanness and humanity um, because and this is something that kind of runs against a lot of what we talk about on the show of just like finding these these moments throughout um, human history like our shared human past of uh, like sort of humanity and this is not humanity being exhibited of course there's you know these aspects talking about um, the, the these sort of um, recipes and and like techniques for healing there's that's, so much woven into it yeah beyond like, and the story but it's still ultimately but there really that is story that is the, that's like one of the big things that's shared across the two yep. um and and so i i hate that <laughs> and so yeah, i'm really so I'm, I'm really sorry that that's a part of it no 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 because i was thinking like well what other stories could be um 
universal could like be that. the oldest stories. And I was thinking mm-hmm. about like belief in God, like belief in an afterlife. Like is yeah, that's sure. something that we've been talking about since before we left Africa. Oh, sort of this this point where we're communicating um with great complexity to one another and and creating stories that we carry on and and that live on even as um sort of communities and cultures uh dissipate. Um it may be something like that. And like that is something that I find um I mean you can't we I don't know that there's anything that we could do that would have sort no, of like that. I mean that's sort really... of like those those moments of sort of scientific mm-hmm. Um, inquiry that kind of speak to something something greater but like, that's the me- part that really got me like oh you actually went and checked and a hundred thousand years ago it was a little different and would have been seven and stars. i think that and also um i've had a lot of time over the past 35 years to think about uh, <laughs> this but um i i and I find, and I think I've talked about this before, that um, the movement of the stars is something that I find to be a very healing metaphor. That like nothing is fixed, even the things that that we would never see change in our own lifetime, um, those move, and stars yeah. die. Like stars die it's out. Like that new thing ones we were form. talking about where. Uh, mountains are liquid if you if yeah. you zoom out on the time scale far yeah. enough and this is yeah. and this is part of i have started working on my uh, uh, patreon supporters may know um uh, that <laughs> i mentioned this i have started working on my like deep time meditation um and it's these sorts of ideas like these these sorts of of uh of, of just movement that that there is movement in the universe and like and so and change if we take that if if we can look at sort of the natural world and and see that and acknowledge that and like is there a way for us to um, look within and kind of apply that to ourselves and think about sort of the capacity for change the capacity for 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 growth for healing uh, for um, for survival for persistence and um, maybe that is part of um, and, and maybe that's something that goes in with that, the sort of um, unpalatable aspects of the story mm. that I don't Resilience. want to. Yeah, exactly. Like this is something of, because um, there's still, despite uh, this this threat of violence or expression of violence upon them, they're still up there. They're still going. Still going. Still going. And so are we. We are. Um. <laughs> Uh, and that is where we will leave you for now, listeners. But we will be back ASAP with that episode that we were going to do yeah. this week. And like this, this mini-sode is a bit... It's a little macro. It's a bit of, it's a, bit of a, you know, the same way that... that uh, it's my, a maxi-sode. My, my mom's dog is tiny, but she's... But she don't care. She's big. She's big for being <laughs> little. So this is, yeah, so we're having a, a nuggy-sized episode. Oh, gosh. She's built like a little brick outhouse. Just, just a little tank. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I hope that um, I was pretty, uh, helpful in this episode. 
I You're hope great. My, my contributions were couldn't have asked of for merit. More. Oh, good because you couldn't get any more. No, I mean I don't want more. I want to end this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. We will be back with you soon. We love you. Goodbye. Goodbye.